You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. I, I love the defiance of that song. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Uh, I am who you say I am. I don't know about you, but there's two major pulls. It's my own heart trying to give me positive self-talk. You are this, you are this, you are this. And then, and then the, the pull from culture and others, you are this. This is who you are. This is who you are. But, but the Christian has a distinct message. God defines us. We don't follow our hearts and we don't follow culture. God gets to say who we are. And the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3 would even say this, even if your own heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows everything. Even if your own heart is, is condemning you, you can say, I am who he says I am. Full stop. And, and in part, this is really what we're going to talk about today, what it means to be totally free, free sons and daughters of God. Uh, would you remain standing as you're able and turn with me to Matthew 17. We're going to finish up this chapter this morning with just this short section, Matthew 17, beginning in verse 24. When they, that is Jesus and the disciples, came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He, that is Peter, said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, verse 27, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. What does it mean to be totally free? We are continuing now in our study of the gospel of Matthew, and we come now to this short but vitally important portion of Matthew's gospel. A few quick comments before we jump into this text. Uh, first, this account of paying the temple tax uh, is unique to Matthew, Matthew's gospel. It doesn't show up in any other gospel account, this temple tax, this two drachma uh, tax. Uh, I think the reason for that is Matthew was a tax collector by trade. That's what he did before Jesus called him. And so Matthew most likely is just keyed in to these kinds of conversations. When there's questions about taxation, Matthew is just going to have sort of more sensitive ears for, for that. And so possibly that's why Matthew alone gives us this account. Uh, secondly, this exchange regarding paying taxes is not to be confused with the section in chapter 22 when Jesus gives that famous, give unto Caesar, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and to God the things which are God's. 
These are two distinct moments. One is dealing with the temple tax, and in chapter two, it is dealing with the Roman taxation. Well, finally, the last remark is, although these are separate accounts, what we're talking about this morning is the temple tax. What we'll talk about in chapter 22 is the Roman taxation. There is overlap in principle. They're distinct enough. We're not going to handle them both this morning, but there's also overlap in teaching and principle, and I hope that'll come clear as we move through the text. So that's it on opening remarks. What do we make of this moment, this text before us? Here's my thesis statement. Here's here's what I think this text is teaching, and this will act as my outline for this morning's sermon. Jesus' people are a totally free people and therefore servants of all people. There's my thesis. Jesus' people, the church, followers of Christ, are a totally free people and therefore servants of all people. First, Jesus' people. Look at verse 24 again briefly. And when they came into Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Then the very first part of verse 25, Peter responds, yes. Okay, what's going on? In first and second temple Judaism, males who were 20 years or older were required every year to pay the temple tax. The temple tax was two drachma. A drachma was simply a form of Greek currency. A shekel was four drachma, and the temple tax, which every male 20 years or older had to pay once a year, was only two drachma. But it was a full day's worth of work. So a full day's worth of work had to be paid to the temple every year. This temple tax was issued and enforced by the Jewish Sanhedrin, not by Roman law. So this is taxation by the Jewish people for the Jewish people for the functions that go on in the temple. And so Christ and his disciples enter Capernaum. This was sort of a home base for them, as you'll recall throughout the gospel. And the collector of the temple tax goes up to Peter, the leader now of the Jesus people. Peter is now known to be sort of the spokesman for the Jesus people. And the temple tax collector asks him a good question. Does your rabbi pay the temple tax? And it's a really good question for two reasons. The first is Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And by law, Jewish rabbis, so long as they were formally trained, did not have to pay the temple tax. But the reason it's a good question is Jesus wasn't formally trained. He had zero formal training, which is really bizarre to sort of think about. He had no formal training, but he did. He was unashamedly a a Jewish rabbi. And so it's a good question for that reason. Does your rabbi, even though he has not been formally trained, Does he pay the temple tax? So it's a good question on that front. The second reason it's a good question and valid is because of what Jesus has already said about the temple. You'll remember with me back in chapter 12, 
the ruling elders came up to Jesus and they, they had some beef with him. And they said, listen, Jesus, you're allowing your disciples to pick heads of grain on the Sabbath. That is technically work. And you as a good Jewish rabbi should not allow that kind of behavior. And so these ruling elders are throwing all kinds of shade on Jesus and the disciples because of picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. And do you remember what Jesus said? Beyond saying that he himself was the Lord of the Sabbath, which is shocking enough, Jesus goes on to say to them, while they're in the synagogue, Jesus goes on to say, and I tell you, and I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. So it is a good question, this exchange about the Sabbath, Jesus, he isn't in this moment in in chapter 12, he isn't pitting himself against the temple. He isn't saying, oh, I'm, I'm kind of sort of coming against the temple. No, Jesus is placing himself over the temple. Something greater than the temple is here. In other words, the function of the temple has run its course. And now in the advent of Jesus Christ, there is a new meeting place between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, something greater than the temple is here. So then we have a self-taught rabbi who thinks that his presence on earth makes the temple irrelevant. And therefore the question does your rabbi pay the temple tax is a really good question. It's a good question. And notice with me, this is why I've sort of titled this Jesus people. Notice with me, this question comes to Peter and not to Jesus. Up until this point, these questions have come directly to Jesus. But now we're starting to see a transition take place in the gospel of Matthew. There is a transition now from Jesus to now his people, the church. And so Jesus isn't addressed here directly, but Peter is addressed here. The church is addressed here directly. Why is this important? This is important because the temple tax collectors knew, now listen to this, they knew full well that whatever Jesus does or doesn't do, his people will follow. That was the assumption does your rabbi pay the temple tax? He's asking Peter that because he knows full well that whatever Jesus does or doesn't do, his people are just gonna follow because that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to follow Christ. I wonder if that same tax collector were to visit the church today in our context, if he would make the same assumption that the church is going to follow Jesus. Well, Peter hears the question from the tax collector and he gives a quick response. He says, yes, Jesus pays the tax. Yes, he pays the temple tax. And then as the story continues, Peter heads back to the place where they were staying and before Peter could even share how his day was, Jesus initiates the conversation. And this leads us down to point two. Jesus' people are a totally free people. Look at verse 25 and 26. And when Peter came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. So he beat him to it. And he says, 
What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now, what is Jesus saying? Now, this is actually quite simple. He's, he's saying, if kings don't collect taxes from their own family, but only collect taxes from their subjects, and since we are God's children and not his subjects, therefore we are not bound by obligation to pay the temple tax. We're not strangers, we're family. And if kings don't tax family, and you are family, you're not obligated to pay the tax. The sons are free. Now this is a radical statement. The sons are free. It's radical because not only has Jesus claimed himself to be the divine son of God, but now twice in Matthew's gospel, we have an account where God the Father, the heavens open up and God declares that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Twice the heavens open from this declaration or for this declaration from the Father. But now, listen, in verse 26, Jesus is giving the privileges of sonship to all who follow after him. He doesn't say the son singular is free. Jesus says the sons, plural, are free. Well, how is it possible that the sons, plural, are free? How is it possible that sonship is now given to all who call upon the name of the Lord? Remember with me back in chapter two of, of John's gospel, I'm gonna paraphrase this. Jesus is walking in Jerusalem and he sees the temple and Jesus says, you see this temple, it's beautiful. And I'm gonna tear it down and in three days, I'm gonna build it back up again. And the Jews bite back and they you're gonna, you're gonna build this in three days? It's taken us 46 years to get this far. And by the way, we're not, we're not done yet. It's taken us 46 years to build this thing and you're gonna rebuild this in three days? How is that possible? And then John tells us that Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Now follow me. What does it mean that Jesus is talking about the temple of his body? It means that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his mediating work between God and man, his mediating presence makes the function of the physical temple obsolete. And so think about it. What would the temple tax be for? What is that money going toward in the temple? The temple tax paid the all of the expenses to make sacrifice possible. And here, Douglas O'Donnell in his commentary was very helpful. The temple tax paid the Levitical priests who would carry out the sacrifices. The temple tax paid for all of the animals who would come in and would be slaughtered. Some of us wouldn't have stomachs for that. But the temple tax would pay for all of the animals who day in and day out would be slaughtered. The temple tax would go for all of the instruments, all of the knives and so forth to carry out sacrifice. 
So then listen, you would pay the temple tax so that atonement could literally be carried out. Covering payment for your sins. That's why you pay the tax. But now in the advent of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the world come and he does away with all need for sacrifice. How? Through the sufficient atonement brought about by his own blood. So there is a new advent. There is a new paradigm for worship. There is new mediation. The eternal spotless lamb of God comes and is slain before the foundation of the world. And in this moment, the the purpose for the temple becomes obsolete. As another writes this, quote, Jesus is now God's temple in person and he pays the temple tax with his own blood. And therefore, listen, when Jesus cries out from the cross, it is finished, it means that God's people have been absolutely set free from their debt to sin and they now owe God nothing. There's no temple tax. There's no need to pay anyone to atone for your sins. Jesus Christ completely wipes out all of our sin debt and makes all of his people no longer subjects, but now sons. And whom the son sets free is free indeed. And so Jesus says, no, Peter, the sons of the king don't need to pay a dime to the temple. They're free. They are sons, not subjects. Well, at this point, Peter's got to be feeling pretty nervous because he just told the temple tax collector that, yeah, our rabbi does pay the tax, and now he's getting this lesson in why he doesn't need to pay the temple tax. And so Peter is sort of probably bracing to eat his words again, Um, but uh, luckily for Peter, Jesus continues. So Jesus' people are a totally free people, and therefore, this is point three, are servants of all people. Jesus' people are a totally free people. We're sons, not subjects, and are servants of all people. Look at our last verse, verse 27. However, Jesus continues, However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Well, this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. What does it mean to be totally free. We have one pure example. We have one pure example of what it looks like for a person to live totally free. And of course, that one example is Jesus himself. That's the only totally free person who's ever walked the planet. And so we look at his life and what what was it that characterized his freedom? What was it? I've come up with one word and you you can tell me if I'm wrong. One word that totally characterizes or in part characterizes 
his freedom. And the word I came up with was submission. Over and over and over again, Jesus would say, I only come to do the will of my father. He was openly unashamed of submitting to the will of the father. And beyond that, through submission, he would serve his friends and he would serve his enemies. Even from the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Submission to the will of the Father, submission to his friends and his enemies. Think about it. The freest person who has ever lived manifested that freedom by yoking himself to others for the sake of their good and not his own. The freest man who ever lived, in other words, limited his freedom for the sake of love. What does it mean to be totally free? Even though the temple had zero jurisdiction over Jesus, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. The temple has zero jurisdiction over Jesus and his disciples. Jesus says, however, you don't have to pay the tax. You're not obliged. You're not obligated. You're sons, not subjects. However, not to give offense to them. Now, this is where, that word offense, it, it's, it means to be scandalized. Even more literally, it means to put a barrier between you and someone else. So Jesus says, however, so as to not put a barrier between us and them, pay the tax. This is an unbelievably important teaching for, from Christ for Christians. Unbelievably important. I cannot overstate the importance of this principle especially in the West. Oh my goodness. Do not place unnecessary barriers between us and the world we're trying to reach. That's the principle. So as to not be an offense to them, to place a barrier between us and the people we're trying to get the gospel to, pay the tax. Are you obligated? Not really, no, you're sons, you're not subjects. However, you should pay the tax. Why? Because by not paying the tax, that's putting an unnecessary barrier between us and the people we're trying to reach. Frederick Bruner, in his helpful commentary, says this, quote, Jesus did not think that non-payment of taxes was an impressive statement of faith. Jesus did not think that a non-payment of taxes, which is what Simon the Zealot would definitely be for. You know, it's just throw your fist up against the man. They're corrupt in everything they do anyway. Don't pay your taxes. Overthrow Rome. Starve them from, with the money. Follow the money, whatever. Jesus, however, did not think that non-payment of taxes was an impressive statement of faith. Jesus would rather resist the world at other points and die on another mountain, end quote. So listen, by paying the tax, did it mean that Jesus was on board with everything that was going on in first century temple politics? What was going on in first century temple politics? 
shady business. That's what was going on. Herod had his sticky little fingers and all that tax money. You better believe he was building his castle by, the temp- by way of the temple tax. That's why the Sanhedrin was all corrupted. That's why it was all corrupted. It was all money. Follow the money. It, by contributing, by Jesus saying, yeah, pay the tax. Is Jesus condoning what's going on? Of course not. By paying the taxes, is Jesus saying, yes, I agree with all of the practices and rituals going on inside the temple? Of course not. In a few short months, he's going to literally flip over tables because of the abuses going on inside his father's house. So why pay the tax? If you know Herod's sticky little fingers are in all the tax money, if you don't agree with the the rituals that are going on, why would you contribute, Jesus? Why would you contribute to now a human institution that is corrupted all the way down to the bottom? Because listen, our Christian freedom is not defined by what we can and cannot do in this life. Christian freedom has a higher ambition than that. Why? Why submit to any human authority or institution? Because Christian freedom is not defined by what we can and cannot do in this life. Christian freedom, listen, moves in the realm of eternal love, eternal adoption, eternal life where joy is full and pleasures are forevermore. That's where our freedom lives. This is why for 2,000 years, Christians from all over the globe would risk life and limb to get the gospel to people who had never heard it before. I would say that that is, outside of Christ, the greatest example of freedom. They're yoking themselves to others. They're limiting their own freedoms and comforts for the sake of love. Why? Because their freedom is not tethered to what they can and cannot do here. Their freedom has already been purchased for them in eternity. And they got their eyes set on a higher highway of freedom, a more ambitious revelation and vision of freedom. They define their freedom in terms of love for God and love for others. So why pay the tax? Why submit to human institutions? Well, because we have to be as Christ followers, more concerned that people hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be most concerned about that. And so Christian freedom looks like removing unnecessary barriers and obstacles to the gospel for the sake of love. Christian freedom looks like limiting our freedoms. Oh, I know, guys, this sounds so We're rowing in the opposite direction right now. Hmm. Let me just read the text. I'll save that for later. First Peter chapter two. We should have this on the screen. Christian freedom looks like limiting our freedoms for the fame of Christ and the love for neighbor. Listen to Peter. What I love about, now I'm, I'm, I'm seeing Peter mirror all of these encounters with Jesus in Matthew. He now writes about what he learned 
in his epistles. And so now listen to now the apostle Peter in his letter talk about freedom. Peter says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. 10 years ago, that would not have felt as radical as it feels to say right now. It just, it just feels like it's almost, has that always been in the Bible? <laughs> Be subject, now notice the qualifier, for the Lord's sake, not for the institution's sake. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Then he says this, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. What does freedom look like? Servanthood. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 would say, I am free from all people to be a slave to all people. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I was one under the law. To those outside of the law, I became outside of the law. I, I, I would do all things that through all means we might save some. I am free from people and I'm a servant to people. This is Christian freedom. This is revolutionary. This is different from any other version, definition of freedom that you and I will hear in the, on the campaign trail this next year. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. Then he says this, if it wasn't clear enough, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What if the emperor is a Democrat? What if he's a Republican? What if he's out of his mind? What if he's full of himself? What if he's corrupt to the bottom? What if he's my guy? Honor him. Honor. Martin Luther, known as, he's the, he is the Protestant. <laughs> he's, the, he's the protester. Martin Luther was the here I stand, I could do no other. This is what Martin Luther says. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. And then he says, a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. <laughs> so what is your definition of freedom? What does it mean to be totally free? Do you find this teaching challenging? If you do, then you are not alone. I'm with you. I am with you. This is challenging. But more importantly, Jesus is with us. And look, listen, he will never ask you to do something that he won't provide you the courage and the means to do. He's never gonna ask you to be submissive to something that's hard to submit to without giving you the grace to do it. And that's what I think, the, the, I think that's the purpose of the coin in the fish's mouth. I, that's the only thing I can, I can make sense of this. He's providing the means for Peter to be submissive to this temple tax. 
and he's using a very unusual means, which is to say, number one, he is Lord of all creation. But most importantly, he will supply the grace to do the thing he's commanding. Even if it means pulling a fish out of water and opening up his mouth. <laughs> he's going to do it. Where Pastor Chuck used to say, where God guides, he provides. Right? We, wherever he guides, he's going to give you the necessary grace to come through on it. He's not going to say, do this hard thing, you're on your own. And this miracle is not a miracle by convenience. You know, it's not like Jesus was like, oh yeah, we should probably pay that tax. Does anybody have a shekel on them? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just have a fish bring one for us. Like this is not, this is not that. Clearly Jesus had other ways to provide money to the group. But he is showing us simply that the means to accomplish the thing that he's calling us to, he will provide. Christian, you are, it may be hard to believe this, but in this very moment, you are the freest person in the world today. You are totally free. I've said this to you over and over again. This is what makes you very dangerous. You're so independent. Nobody can rope you into their ideology, into their worldview, into their politics, into their, you're so free. You're a free agent. The worst thing that could happen to us is we die. And that becomes the very best thing that ever happened to us. You are the, the most free person in the world today. Your sonship and your daughtership and citizenship is in heaven. Your adoption is secure. Your eternity is guaranteed. It's sealed. If that's true, let's, have, let's live like it. Let's live like heaven's actually coming. Let's live like our freedoms are not just here. Let's follow the risen Christ. Let's follow him. Let's be Christians and follow him and live into this kind of freedom by giving our freedom away for the sake of love. Let's think this week, let's think about unnecessary obstacles that we've put between us and those that we know we want to share Christ with. And we've called that virtue. We've called that freedom. And we've just hold on to this, but it's just an unnecessary obstacle. Let's think about those things and let's have some courage, some God-given courage to remove those obstacles. Maybe, maybe you got, here is just a real life situation. Maybe you got somebody at work, you're in your cubicle and you're a conservative. And the guy next to you is a bleeding heart liberal and he puts his podcast extra high so that you have to listen to it every day, all of the talking points, right? And you're so upset at that. I can understand that could be trying at times over and over and over again. And you might be tempted to turn your podcast up and have a bit of a co co competition on worldview and, and, and whatever. You know where I'm getting at with this. What would it look like? What would it look like to, to wheel your little chair around the cubicle and say, I'm really curious about what makes you tick. Like, what makes the stuff of you, Bill? Like, what makes you, you? Tell me, don't tell me about politics. Back me all the way up to birth. What were your, what were your parents like? 
<laughs> I'm serious. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your grandparents. Who shaped you? What's interesting? And maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're more liberal and you've got the conservative guy and it's all the talking heads all of the time and you just are like, oh, you, you, what would it look like to get into their life? To move past the things that are obstacles and to say, what makes you, you? I'm really curious because the people that are most curious are the people that are most secure in themselves. If you're not secure, you're just gonna build walls up because you're scared. And you're, you're just gonna lo lob bombs at people. But if you're secure in who you are in Christ, you can ask questions that you know you're gonna get answers that you don't agree with. But you're tethered. You're totally free. That's the point. You're totally free. Let's act like free people for the sake of love, for the sake of Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I am so challenged by this in my own life. Would you help us by your grace to live as sons that are free and give us a hum, uh, uh, give us a confidence so deep that it produces humility. Give us a confidence so deep that it produces a humility and an approachability. Never compromising on truth. Give us courage, but humble and gentle. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.